Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hello and welcome to episode 35. We have something great in store for you once again, and this episode is a bit provocative. The woman I'm interviewing, Regina Thomas Howard, she's a best selling author and the creator of Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts. She is one of my closest friends. And she is really a pioneer on the planet. She's been researching the nature of pleasure and dedicated her life to the principles of pleasure and having fun. She is teaching women how to wake up, how to truly feel alive in their body, alive in their lives. And her new book is so provocative. The title actually is so provocative that she can't even say the title within emails or within social media because it gets blocked. And the title of her book is Pussy. Now, before you get offended or cringe, there is a really interesting reason why this is the title of her book and why she talks so much about this word and the beliefs that we've grown up with as women. Now, if you are a man, you can still get so much out of this. I don't wanna say anything else because she goes into such great detail. It is fascinating. It is what the world needs. So keep an open mind and most importantly, enjoy. We have a lot of fun. And if you like this, spread it. This is an act of love. So once again, spread the love. Enjoy. Hi, Regina. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Jess. I am so happy to be here with you. Well, being that this topic, uh, what we're going to be talking about pleasure today. I'm sure this experience is going to be very pleasurable for the two of us. Um, but it is. I- I've, I've already lit my uh, favorite fragrant candle from the Cost oh. Hotel in Paris. It smells so delicious. I have my lemon water by my side. So I'm just, and I'm wearing my favorite summer dress. So I'm ready for you. Oh, that's awesome. I have a summer dress. I have my water, but I gotta, I gotta up my game. I gotta bring the candle next time. But, um, <laughs> but you know, so starting on the conversation of pleasure, I need to ask you about the big elephant in the room. The one thing that I think most people focus on when they learn about your work and especially when they hear about your brand new book, congratulations, by the way, Thank you. Um, which is called Pussy. Now, you even write in your book, in the beginning of your book, that pussy is often the ultimate smack to a woman's dignity. It's used with the intention to hurt and humiliate. And it's also the lowest of lows for men. You know, no man wants to be called a pussy. But this is a word that is very important to your work. Why is do you believe this word is so powerful? And why do you use it? Well, one of the greatest pieces of unconscious conditioning that we have in our Western culture is that we do not teach our girls the name of the source of our feminine power. And this is a huge omission. So I use the word pussy uh, as you would use any well-placed expletive. Uh, 
It's kind of a smack upside the head to a culture that's forgotten itself and forgotten to include a huge piece of the majesty, splendor, and, uh, well, downright tr raw truth of who and what a woman is. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, uh, I, I teach a class called Mastery, and I always ask my students, is about three or 400 students, and I say, what were you taught to call your genitals when you were a child? And I will get a parade of colloquialisms that would knock you out. Like, well, what were your, what, let me, before I even, like some of them. We have, we have wiki, cuckoo, privates down there, pooter, wee wee, fine china, Walter Winchell, Miss Kitty, purse. Like, what did your little bits and pieces get called when you were a kid? I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about it and I don't even remember, like, which is interesting in itself yes. because I don't even remember a conversation about it. Yeah. See, that's, that's the scariest part is over, you know, first I get this few hundred of these crazy names. And then I get a few women who say, oh, well, my parents called me, told me it was a vagina. And, and that's actually physiologically incorrect because uh, the vagina is not the exterior genitalia. It's the interior. Uh, and in fact, it means, it means sheath in Latin. Uh, so the other half of the room says, my private parts got called nothing. And just as you described, there was no name. There was no, and when you don't name a part, it doesn't exist, right? Uh, we have no common language to describe that which is most essentially feminine about us. So we don't have a way to locate and own our power as women. And it's not the same for guys. When I teach a, a course for men uh, every June and when I do that, I'll ask the guys, what did your bits and pieces get called? And they'll all say, I, I, I got a penis, Regina. What's your problem? Right. <laughs> you know, they have a shared language. And you can learn just as much about a culture from what it's missing as what it embraces. And as women, we have all been missing this commonality of the name of that which is essentially feminine about us. Uh, you know, Let's think about internet. You know, 15 years ago, I was faxing things, right? There was no, people weren't on the internet the way they are, the way we take it for granted now. And now we have a way of describing something that we use every day. But for women, we do not have a way of accessing, describing, locating, talking about, sharing information about the heartbeat of our femininity. And it's a huge omission that has a huge consequence in a woman's life because it basically breaks out like this. A woman who owns her pussy owns her life. And if she don't, she don't. And it's kind of that simple. So then let's go into this, the the power of the pussy and, and the power of naming this and knowing where your power comes from. Would you compare it to the way that some people say, follow your heart? Yeah. Um, it's even more powerful in a way than following your heart. Like if, if you, if you can really locate your raw pussy truth, right? Like your deepest intuition. Cause when I say pussy, right, it's a, it's a vulgar slang word. 
but that's not the way I'm using it. I'm using it to reclaim a woman's source energy. So when I say follow your pussy, uh, actually um, the 8,000 nerve endings that are held inside every woman's body, which is an extraordinary amount of nerve endings. It's twice the nerve endings that men have in their penis, right? So we have all of this sensitivity and the, the clit, the clitoris is so powerful. Uh, it integrates information from the conscious, the unconscious, the hypothalamus, the neocortex. Uh, it's a, a, this huge sensing organ that allows us to intuit a depth and breadth of our own sense of ourselves as women that's even uh, more multi-layered than listening to your heart mm -hmm. uh, because it includes your feeling, your entire feeling, your sensual connection to yourself and to the world. So when you are listening to your pussy, you're actually tapping into a kind of your intuition that is uh, almost a superpower uh, just like the way a woman can, uh, you know, maybe, I'm sure this has happened to you a dozen times where you, you're thinking about a friend and then suddenly the phone rings, your friend calls. It's sort of, there's a part of your nature that can almost, it's almost like a 1-800 psychic. That's how powerful your pussy is. Right. So it's here we have this intuitive force, but... Mm -hmm. A lot of people maybe who are listening to this, they might be wondering, well, are we talking about it always being – because when we think about the pussy, we think of sex. We think it's sexualized. Mm -hmm. And obviously when it comes to pleasure, that's an element. But can you talk about it almost as a whole? We're not just talking about sexual pleasure here. This is, this is about like a full holistic pleasure in every aspect of the word. Yeah, uh, it's not just pleasure. Uh, pussy is almost like your higher power uh, in this sense. Um, you know how powerful you feel when you are turned on, mm -hmm. uh, when your light is lit, when, true, when your enthusiasm is engaged, when you feel your life force. And by the way, we see this all the time in kids and it, you know, where they're so enthusiastic about the way they're playing on the playground or excitedly telling you about a new discovery they found or learning something. There's a, a, a life force that's alive. And the reason that I started the school of womanly arts 20 years ago was because I noticed that as women got older, rather than their life force expanding, it diminished and died down. And that inner light became more and more dim the older and older that we got. And women aren't standing in their true power. They are still making 79 cents on the dollar that men are making. Uh, African-American women make 63 cents for every dollar paid to men. Hispanic women, 53 cents. Um, women hold only 19% of the seats in Congress. And last year of the nine percent of top grossing films released, uh, only 9% were directed, directed by women. So it, women are underrepresented. We have, there's a lid on us. There's uh, something blocking our essential life force from 
pouring into the world. There's kind of a crisis of confidence, even amongst women who are very successful. Right. What I like about your work is that, yes, when you when we're having this discussion about the world right now and these statistics, sometimes we can look at a world and go, there are certain things that are are against us. But also the knowledge that at some level, uh, we are holding back our own power. Mm-hmm. Um, you shared a really great, I was reading the book and it's interesting when you shared that story about Harvard, how uh, was it was it business school where women were also graded by participation? Yeah. And they were quite they weren't participating as much because they didn't want to be seen as not feminine and not attractive to the other people. I mean, here you are as a woman in Harvard Business School and you want to play the role of a woman and have and you want to be liked but you also need to play this other role and speak up. And you think that those two things go against each other, that you can't be this strong, powerful woman. Can you talk about that dynamic? Yeah, it's, uh, it was a super interesting study uh, in uh, that it, this uh, Harvard study. It was about uh, three years ago uh, that reporter was um, kind of – interviewing some of the professors at Harvard. And what they were finding is that the best and brightest women went to the B school at Harvard and were either dropping out or not succeeding. And they certainly weren't accomplishing the same in terms of uh, these beautiful, powerful jobs. They weren't getting the same kind of networking as the men were getting who went to B school. And uh, the, on deeper inquiry, actually, Harvard hired, among other things, a hand-raising coach to teach women how to raise their hands in class because women tend to doubt themselves, question themselves, second-guess themselves before they're willing to participate, in addition to the problem of not wanting to appear smarter than the other guys in class in case they would, you know, diminish their chances of finding a great husband. So, all of these are examples of what happens in the world when a woman doesn't own her pussy, right? When she's not feeling that native, joyful confidence and power in who she is as a woman, she's always going to look outside of herself for uh, markers as to should she speak or should she not speak. She's waiting for outer approval before she makes her move because she's not connected to her inner sense of her own confidence. And so what I wanted to do with this book, why the subtitle is called A Reclamation, is to give women access to owning a part of their feminine that they've never been taught to access. Because what that does is connects a woman to her source energy, her essential power that's only available to her through her connection with her sensuality, her sexuality, her the fullness of her feminine. And once a woman plugs into that life force, she is unstoppable. It doesn't matter whether there's a guy in class uh, if who she thinks is hot. She's going to answer the question the way she wants to answer it. And then she is going to go on and hang out with him and ask him out for a date afterwards if that's what she wants. Like a woman has such a deep sense of herself, she becomes 
absolutely an unstoppable force, which is what we want for all of our women and all of our girls. Right. And we don't have many examples of that in our society. I mean, it's quite the opposite. We're raised believing that, especially as women, that we value ourselves on how much we give to others and how much we sacrifice ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about that that mentality that doesn't even come from our generations, that we're kind of battling from from our getting it passed down from our great-grandmothers and our grandmothers? Mm-hmm. And with that how do we find the example to to do things differently? I mean, it seems like we're in a really tough position. Yeah. Well, women have been taught to ignore their pleasure for centuries. We're taught to take care of our husbands, take care of our kids, take care of our boss, but we're never taught to take care of ourselves. We were never the priority. And instead of learning how to nourish ourselves or make sure we got ours, we've learned to ignore ourselves. And the consequence of that It leaves us stressed and overworked and burnt out and resentful. And when a woman is stressed, her body produces stress hormones like cortisol. And you know, too much cortisol in a woman is going to experience depression and irritation and sadness and loneliness and anger. And it creates inflammation in the body, which contributes to a whole uh, host of diseases. But when a woman has a pleasurable experience, and that could be an orgasm or a dance break, or hot shower with a great bath gel, she's flooding her body with nitric oxide. And that turns on all her neurotransmitters, such as beta endorphin and prolactin. And now she's actually creating health in her body, and her light is backed on, and, and, and she's turned on, and she's tuned into her power, and rather than uh, just paying attention to her deficits or what she could do to other people. So pleasure is really the key piece Uh, for turning a woman around and having her able to balance those interior scales and begin to pay attention to herself for the first time in generations. Oh, I like this idea. So uh, paying attention to ourselves that once we experience pleasure and we make that a habit, it's easier to listen to our internal voice. Yeah, so much so because we live in a patriarchal culture. And What that means is that the masculine and men are valued more than the feminine and women. And all that means is we're out of balance. You know, the masculine is good. The feminine is good. It's just all of us were raised in an out of balance way of prioritizing the masculine sides of ourselves. And so it's just like cardio strength without the training or, you know, eating um, only protein and no vegetables. You need balance to be healthy. And, and you'll recognize the skills of the masculine or the traits of the masculine. Uh, you're asked to man up or put your nose to the grindstone or win at all costs. Uh, don't feel, be logical and practical, uh, go it alone, emphasis on the individual gain, not the global good of the whole. And um, so all of us have been educated to prioritize those values And we've lost sight of the values of the feminine, which are things like tapping into our intuition or our creativity or valuing connection, valuing communities, valuing sisterhood, uh, or experiencing our full emotional range, you know, crying as hard as your soul requires, uh, raging, um, feeling deeply and expressing those feelings. You know, women were always taught to 
you know, you're too much, don't feel so much. Um, another art of the feminine would be receiving or surrender. Those things are equally as important as the masculine values, but we're not taught to honor those. So this book is a way for a woman to relearn herself and to begin to celebrate all of the sides of her femininity. I'd love to hear a story of how how this has shown up in someone's life. So I, I know that you work with hundreds of women. Is there a story that you can uh, share with us that shows a very clear before and after of what happens when someone taps into that divine feminine, to the, that pussy power? Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to tell you uh, a story of um, a woman uh, – uh, that I just think is so brave and I admire so much. Uh, her name is, uh, I, I'll call all of my students sister goddesses, sister because every woman is sister to one another on this planet, and goddess because there's at least a drop of the divine in every one of us. So uh, sister goddess Diane, right, she came to... Um, my class because she was on, well, she'd actually hired a lawyer, paid the 10,000 retainer, and she was all ready to um, get a divorce from her husband. Uh, with, she had a young child as well. And uh, the very first weekend of the class, she had a revelation, which was that in these uh, 10 or so years of marriage, she had never, ever really allowed her husband to really get to know her body. She had always been concerned about serving him, taking care of him. She never really let him know her. And so when she went back home, uh, she told him that. And she said that she started to connect with her femininity, her pussy. She began, she learned for the first time about her body, about her 8,000 nerve endings that are all about pleasure. She never knew that. She never, even though she had a child, she'd never even looked at herself or seen herself. And, uh, she had been feeling so resentful of feeling like, um, marriage was all about him and none of it was about her. So she began her journey of exploration between herself and herself, learning everything that she could about her pussy especially. And when she went home, she told her husband the story and they decided that they were going to have a date. And during this date, she was going to let him actually see her pussy for the first time and she was going to teach him how she liked to be touched so they were both so nervous and um they went out dancing and then they came back and home and um they were just sitting in the car because they were so scared and then he just grabbed her and kissed her and that broke the ice a little bit and then they went up to the bedroom and uh, she decided maybe she would do a sexy strip tease for him. And so she began to do this 
kind of beautiful, sexy dance. And he said, uh, excuse me for a minute, honey. And he went into the other room and he came back. Now, this is such a cute guy. He came back with, you know, with one of those little camping headlamps on mm-hmm. his head. How cute is that? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he um, laid her down on the bed and he said, you know what? I'm so honored and I'm so moved. I'm so thrilled to be invited in. And I wondered if you would mind if I use this headlamp because I want to explore every inch of you and get to know your pussy and really just become a student of what it is you want and what it is that brings you pleasure and what it is you long for. I want to learn and I always have. And so that night, she was able to teach him things about her body, about how lightly she likes to be stroked and about what parts are sensitive and what feels good and what feels uncomfortable. And it was the breakthrough of their lives. And needless to say, she, they um, mended their relationship because she was finally able to allow this man who had so wanted to pleasure her, but she never felt right enough about her body to let him in to learn what it is that was most, most meaningful and sensual and to bring him into that part of herself that she never felt right about. Mm-hmm. And finally, she was able to do that. And so they, she got the uh, deposit back from the lawyer and they are actually still married today, a number of years later. And their son has gotten to grow up in a happy, connected family. And it was sourced by her willingness to take a chance to connect with a part of her body that she had pushed to the side or perhaps had never been taught how to value. And my hope for this book is it will open so many dialogues like this, not just for a a woman and her husband, but really between a woman and herself. Because um, when a woman is willing to take full ownership and kind of put her key in her own ignition and turn that baby on and take her down the highway, then you can successfully invite a passenger along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one example. I could give you so many. There's women who reclaimed themselves in the workplace. How uh, does that work? So how does someone, rec- what, what's it look like to reclaim yourself in the workplace using that power? Well, um, for the most part, uh, the work. Workplace is structured uh, according to very masculine uh, standards. And, um, you know, you plug in at nine, you leave at five, six, seven, eight. Uh, rain or shine, you work five days a week. You're expected to work evenings and um, weekends. It's uh, very demanding and it doesn't move along with the ebb and flow, the cyclical nature of the feminine. 
So, for example, I had a, a student, uh, she was in her 20s, and she was working for um, a handbag designer, a well-known handbag designer, and uh, she was uh, working these hours, as I just described, and then she got married, and she got pregnant. And her life was beginning to really expand in terms of her personal life and the kinds of things she was anticipating and enjoying. So uh, she went and she uh, to her boss and she sat her boss down and she said, look, I'm pregnant now. I have additional priorities than this job, but I know I'm great for you and I'm great for this brand and I don't want to stop working. But what I would like is for you to reduce my schedule to four days a week and no outside work in the evenings on the weekends, keep my salary exactly the same, and I'm going to continue to do a great job for you. But this is what I want. This will make my life even better than it is right now, and then I'd be willing to continue to work for your company, and you know how important I am to your brand. And they gave her everything she asked. So it was to, what happens is, Pussy gives a woman courage because once she's owning her pussy, she's owning a deep sense of her own confidence and power and rightness that gives her the ability to give voice to the almost unimaginable and to be able to value herself so strongly that she's willing to confront aspects of the patriarchy or the culture or in this case, her boss or the corporate structure of this company and have that structure begin to work for her rather than the other way around. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great story. And and it and it goes towards what we were talking about earlier about um, women not asking, not raising their hands. So as we as we begin, I think the the first step to healing anything is having an awareness that there's a problem. And mm-hmm. I think we live in a society where this problem is so big that we just look at it as life, as normal. We don't even think there's anything wrong. Exactly. And so it's like we have to rediscover, we have to discover for the first time, maybe for the first time in generations, this power. When you're working with a woman and you want her to start to experience this power to first realize it exists, how do you begin to just become more comfortable with that idea and, and experience it in some way? Well, um, one of the things that I think is uh, difficult for women is when we receive an education in this country and majority of uh, Western cultures, we aren't taught about women. <laughs> We're taught about guys. It's so know. true. Yes. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a Hillary Clinton in one of her, uh, the, I was watching the Democratic National Convention, and she was simply part of a video showed all of the presidents, right? And all of the presidents have been men. And so if you think about that, if you and I probably studied history when we were kids and, you know, all of the guys that made our country what it is today are men, the leaders that you hear running the most important corporations, men. So um, we think that men are the change makers, the leaders. Uh, They are the fabric from which we each came. And it's not accurate. 
So one of the things I'll do in my class and in this book especially, there's an entire chapter devoted to the fact that it's really only in the last 5,000 years that pussy has been dismissed and disparaged. And for at least 30,000 years prior to that, the feminine was revered and pussy was worshipped. It was all about Mother Earth or the Great Mother. Uh, women were considered the sacred portal to life itself. They were considered holy because of the phenomenon of being able to give birth. Like she who bleeds but does not die and gives life. That is how a woman was held. Uh, and there is a prehistoric cave painting uh, that I'll show. I do a whole, uh, there's some illustrations in the book, but there's also um, in Mastery, I'll do an entire slideshow uh, of, uh, and this particular cave painting is significant to me because it shows a hunter pulling back his bow with a successful arrow, killing his prey. But the power doesn't come from him. The arrow was actually connected on the painting to his woman's vulva. So there's a direct line from her pussy through his body to his prey. The feminine was acknowledged as the source of life, which is actually accurate. Uh, and if you and I were in ancient Egypt and it was planting season, a row of women in our town, we would all go to the edge of the fields, the fields would be planted, and what we would do is we would lift our skirts and we would flash our pussies and charge the earth with, uh, in ancient Egypt, we would say, may the wheat grow as high as my pussy. Like, instead of blessings being about, oh, you know, men, they were about the feminine. Uh, so women were called upon for their creativity and their fertility and their ability to generate, generate life. Uh, we were celebrated rather than devalued, disparaged, dishonored. And I think it's important to begin to include a conversation historically about the significance of the uh, contribution that the feminine has made. And so I'm doing my part. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Well, and, and kind of on that same topic, you, you mentioned before that everyone calls each other sister goddess, and goddess is another word that you really love and you really celebrate. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you touched upon it a little bit just now, but why do you think it's important for this word to come back into our vocabulary? Well, if you think about it, all of the really popular religions today, they're all run by guys. You know, we got Jesus, Buddha, Yahweh, Allah, Muhammad, Moses. You know, it's not really representative of, first of all, um, historically, where who, who each of us are and where we've come from. It has, there's an exclusion of the feminine in these houses of worship. And uh, I think it's important simply to balance the scales by presencing, I'm, I'm, I'm not doubting the existence of God, I'm including the existence of goddess, that there is a feminine divine. And I think women are very often, they, we feel left out of uh, 
religions, and in fact, very often we are uh, not permitted into houses of worship. We are considered uh, not as holy as men. You know, there's uh, the feminine, there's no representation of the feminine inside many houses of worship. So I think it's important to recognize that that's, it's just a little drop in the timeline of scheme of things. It's only the last 5,000 years. If we're looking at the last 30 to 50,000 years, goddess was worshipped for the majority of that time. So we've kind of lost our way, but we're going to steer back on the right path now. You know, and I I love it. And I don't think it's that big of a leap. If you believe that there's one God, then it encompasses both those energies. So goddess and God can be interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. If it's all one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to come back to this pleasure that I want to talk about pleasure. I want to talk about flirting Um, because you talk about it in your book and you said, I wrote some notes here that, that flirting is, Oh, I lost my spot. Flirtation is nothing more than enjoying ourselves. Mm -hmm. What is the, the power of flirting? Oh my gosh. Well, the power of flirting is, uh, it's multi-layered women have been taught that you're supposed to flirt to get stuff. You know, oh, if I flirt with that guy, he'll buy me a drink. Um, Or he'll ask me on a date. And it's not a form of exchange. Actually, flirtation is nothing more or nothing less than enjoying yourself in the presence of another person. It's a woman choosing to turn on to herself, to feel the joy and the privilege of being a woman, to feel the enjoyment of that, and then to share it. Uh, and flirtation is in our DNA. Women flirt with, we flirt with dogs. We flirt with babies. We flirt with each other, you know, like, oh my God, you look so hot. And then you'll be like, oh, no, you look hot. You know, we, that's, <laughs> that's what we do when we are in our natural turned on state. Meaning, and when I say turned on, I'm meaning connected to our life force, connected to our source, connected to our pussies. You cannot flirt if you are not connected to your pussy. You are not plugged into your power source. So that's, that, that's the number one, is you have to plug in to your own joy and enjoyment of the privilege of being a woman. And from that, oh, so much fun develops. It's actually a great way of taking care of the world. You can change the energy of a, you know, a grumpy Starbucks barista if you just walk in there and you flirt with him or her. And then people catch flirtation. Just like, you know, we don't evaluate this so much, Jess, but women have this kind of virulent, unspoken condition of self-doubt, self-deprecation, self-hatred. And, um, you can pick up on it if you're, you know, like, let's say you're a little girl and you're going into the kitchen and your mama is just in so much doubt and so much trepidation, so much self-hatred. She's thinking, Oh my God, am I right? Good enough mom. Oh my God. Am I making enough money? Oh, am I taking enough care of the house? Uh, you know, Why did my husband leave me? Whatever those things are that happen in a woman's life and she's doubting herself, her daughter picks up on that doubt 
when you're in a state of self-doubt or self-hatred, you can't flirt. I mean, you end up passing a legacy of self-doubt and self-hatred onto another generation. And uh, we don't evaluate that as a problem, that that small internal decision that we think is invisible, it's not invisible. It's, it's visible and spreadable. And right now we have this opportunity as women, the more we can connect with our pleasure, the more we can connect with our pussies, the more we are going to have the ability to reverse this legacy of self-doubt and self-hatred that's even visible at the levels of Harvard Business School and begin to turn on ourselves, turn on the world to the power and the importance of the qualities of the feminine. Yeah. And when when we have this conversation about flirting, I think it's important to mention that uh, the, mention the way that we're looking at it because someone might say, oh, well, you can only flirt with your husband or that's being provocative or that's it, it has to be sexual. You know, flirting is is just the precursor to something sexual, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's like it's this playful energy of enjoying ourselves. You I think got that's, it. You that, got it. You know, okay. as, as you were sharing that, I had this memory. I haven't thought of this for years, but when I was 17, I convinced my principal to let me go and be an exchange student in England. And so I spent the first, <laughs> it was crazy. I spent, I spent the first six months of my junior year of high school in England by myself. And my host, my, I had a lot of liberty. Like literally it was like someone just dropped me off in England. And um, I started traveling by myself. And one day I, I missed a train and I was really lost and I was by myself. And I don't even remember the whole story, but there was this like whole story about how I got home. But it was because there was like one of the guys at the train station who worked there helped me out and he got me on a shuttle. I don't even remember the story, but the only memory I really have is that when I came back home, I was speaking to my history teacher and I was telling her this story and she was like, well, how did you get this person to help you? And I was like, well, I just took a deep breath and I... Like I complimented him and I just smiled and I just like worked, I worked my way into it. You know, basically what I was doing was I was flirting. Mm -hmm. I was, I was tapping into that energy and she said to me, oh, well that just put down the, the feminist movement back 20 years. Like some, she made some comment like that. And then I remember. So mean. Yeah. And so not true. Well, and I remember stopping and thinking, oh, should I have not have been playfully trying to get this person to help me like what what was the other thing that I should have done what was the appropriate way to act oh my gosh well you know what you could not have been more spot on I think it's a shame you know that's one of the things that happened uh within uh the women's movement is I consider my work the fourth wave of feminism which is really taking that all of the qualities of feminine the feminine and bringing it into the larger culture. But you have to remember that the woman's movement, feminism, it was born out of anger, righteous anger at the inequality of the way women were treated. And there are vestiges of that anger, especially 10 or more years ago that, well, they still exist today where women, you know, have, we've all 
experienced uh, being passed over, devalued, or diminished, or disparaged in some way by the larger male-oriented culture. So I can understand your history teacher's response, but it was inappropriate and it was inaccurate. The truth was that you were moving from your feminine power, which was standing inside of who you are and being so feeling so right about yourself that you were willing to receive the help and input of another person because flirtation is nothing more and nothing less than enjoying yourself in the presence of another person. And you were kind of surrendering to the fact that you were lost in a strange country and you were willing to receive help. And that actually advances the cause of women, doesn't put it back at all. Yeah. I'm really impressed that you did that. What a ballsy little kid you were. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, um, I'm sure that as, as people are listening, as the audience is listening to this interview, you start to think about different moments in your life when you were shamed by being something that we now are realizing is powerful. Exactly. You know, or even or even receiving. I remember having a, a I have a friend who's a much older, a single woman, and she'd always anytime she needed help, she had a guy over able to fix things. Mm-hmm. And I used to be like, are you hooking up with these guys? I mean, isn't it horrible that that's my like my assumption? Like, why are these people helping you? Like, is, is, are they, what are they getting out of this? And she was like, no, nothing like men. And she said to me, you know, men just really like to make you smile. Yeah, exactly. Men love to be of service. They love to help us. They love to, you know, that's one of the greatest things you can do for a guy is give him a way to make you happy. Uh, So, but we have all this fear around receiving, like, what's it mean for us to receive? Does it mean we have to give something back or is it okay? Does it make us wrong to receive when we're the ones who are always supposed to be giving? Exactly. But remember, that is a value system that's based in a patriarchal culture that Mm -hmm. excludes the values of the feminine. Yes. The values of the feminine are all about receiving and surrendering and recognizing the connection and community and the interconnectedness of everything and everyone. Uh, But the masculine culture doesn't value that as much. So what happens to us is we start to um, internalize the values of the culture that doesn't that doesn't honor or value us. And we start to doubt ourselves and to start to doubt our own feminine natures. Uh, So that's why I wrote the book, because it's time that we woke up from this so much time that a woman wastes in self-doubt and self-hatred, questioning herself about her very nature (laughs) and the, the things that should be celebrated. Yeah, that's what is your greatest hope for the book? Mm. My greatest hope for the book is that it gets into the hands of millions and millions of women in this world. Why? Because it's when a woman will read this book, she will be able to begin the revolutionary work of self-love which starts with a tiny act of pleasure or a tiny act of approval. And when 
she starts to reverse all of the self-doubt, the self-deprecation, the questioning of herself, the self-hatred. And she fills herself up with appreciation, joy, pleasure. What happens is all she wants to do is connect with other women and take them higher. She finds a support system she's always longed for, but she couldn't imagine. And what happens is instead of um, sisterhood or women to women relationships being about mutual victimizations, you know, oh, um, I hate my boss. Oh, so do I. Or, you know, my husband always forgets my birthday. Oh, so does mine. Instead of that, what happens is we need each other, but it's not the neediness of old. It's not the neediness of dependence and desperation or victimization. It's this. I need you to be as big and blazing and radiant and fabulous as you can possibly be. Because the more of your legendary light that you step into, the more of mine I can inhabit and embody. And by standing in my own sacred radiance, I open up room for you to stand in yours beyond the parameters of what I can imagine. So once women get a hold of this book and begin to understand who they are as women and stand for that loudly and proudly in sisterhood, we can remake this world in our lifetime and rebalance the scales so that women and the feminine are honored and celebrated and revered just as much as we celebrate, honor, and revere the masculine. And that is going to change this planet. The world is so hungry for the voice of the feminine right now. And I am so excited to have this work move forward and have the feminine move forward in everyone's lives because that change is required to uplift and elevate and move the consciousness of our world forward. Yes, and it's not only elevating women, it's elevating the world. You know, you this it, benefits baby. the men around us as well. Oh, so much so, so much so. And uh, I'm, I'm, and, and it will give every woman a sense of that power that she's always been longing for and a sense of her own sacredness that is her truth. And I'm so psyched. Yes. Well, I have the book and I've read the book. It's a fantastic book. I'm so proud of you. And it's, yeah. it's important work. This is a movement. Uh, I Do you have a few more minutes for just a few extra questions? Yeah, of course. Yes. Okay, so I have a few questions I like to ask everybody who's new to the show. Uh, the first one is, uh, can you share something that happened in your life that seemed horrible at the time but ended, bec ended up becoming a big blessing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think almost um, I, there's so many of those instances. Um, I would say um, one of the things that happened to me that seemed horrible at the time was my divorce, uh, which is now, uh, it's 10 years ago. And at the time of um, divorcing, I was, uh, I had a, a young child, which I now she's on the threshold of uh, almost going to college, as you know. And I was uh, 
in a quarter of a million dollars of debt because of uh, having not been really conscious about the money issues in my business. I, I had asked my ex to be in charge of that. So here I was starting a new life with a child that I was taking care of and a big debt and a big dream that I didn't know how I was going to fulfill. And I thought it was the worst thing that could ever, ever, ever happen to anybody. And um, what happened for me through, of course, a lot of phenomenal grace and so much hard work and then some and so much enthusiasm was I began to locate a part of myself that I would never have accessed if I had not been given this opportunity called a divorce and which was I learned that I was an extremely powerful businesswoman and I didn't ever even think I wanted to be that but I learned not only how to run a company but run uh, a company by the values based on the values of the feminine and to uh uh, run my entire school, which is started in my living room with a handful of women. And now I have uh, programs which have hundreds, if not thousands of participants. And I've reached women all over the world. And all of the programs are uh, delivered with such a high standard of excellence. And the value to each of the students is so profound and so life-changing. And so I found capabilities inside myself of not just my creative voice, my voice as a performer, my voice as an artist, my voice as a writer, my voice as a businesswoman, that I'm sure I would never have found if I had not been given that giant boatload of challenges exactly when I got them. Right. I love that. It's so important to remember every time we go through a challenge that through those challenges sometimes come, I, I say mo most often come such big blessings. Mm -hmm. Now, the last question I have for you, I really want you to think about it. If you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? <laughs> um, I think... Uh, I would be a lion <laughs> or a lioness. Like I just so, I just have such like a lioness persona, personality, you know, uh, a, a, uh, a, a huge amount of courage, a huge amount of heart, uh, really protective of, my tribe, which includes my daughter, my friends, my community of sister goddesses. Uh, and I just, I relate deeply to that feline side of myself and that cat-like ability to pounce when it's needed and to uh, just... I guess I, I guess I consider myself to be the queen of the jungle. 
I love that. The lioness. Well, there we go. Um, Regina, thank you so much. Where can people pick up your book? Well, you can pre-order well, you can order it on amazon.com. I have uh, there's I have a special website mamaginas.com slash new book because we can't put slash pussy because of course <laughs> I think it's a, yeah. yeah I I gotcha <laughs> um, but you can you know any Barnes and Noble it's everywhere it's published by Hay House I love them uh, and I am I'm just so excited to get this book into the hands of every woman on this planet. Well, it's a fantastic book. I'm grateful that you wrote it and that you came on the show to share all of your, just uh, your lioness power and wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jess. I love you. I love you. (laughs) And I'm so appreciative of this time together. It was so much fun. 